Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers. And I'm Andrea Willits. Together, we're disrupting the trance of unworthiness and guiding women to reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. So welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to introduce you to Trista Hendren. Trista is the creator of the Girl God series and a certified women's empowerment coach with Imagine a Woman International. She's originally from Portland, Oregon. She lives in Bergen, or Bergen, Norway, with her family. Trista, did I say that right? Bergen? It's it just Bergen. Although if you're from here, it's <laughs> Bergen accent is a bit more yeah. rolling R, but I, I cannot actually roll my R's. So <laughs> That is right. So funny. So yeah, the so Bergen is the yeah. way you say it. Good. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so, so honored to have you. And uh, I want to start out by just telling our listeners, I actually went back, Trista, to our first email, and I remember discovering you. The first email was July 7th of last year. And yeah, and I just like looked at the email. I was like, oh, yeah, like I remember discovering you online and checking you out like obsessively because I just the whole idea of like girl God books and then finding your Facebook page, I thought, oh my goodness, like I have to know more. Well, thank you. I'm really honored and um, I'm really, really happy to talk with you. I have enjoyed our conversations. Yeah. Well, so I'd love to just start out by just kind of asking you more about the Girl God series and how it got started. Yeah. So basically I have both a Christian and a Muslim background and I was trying to raise my children in an interfaith environment, which worked well for my son. Um, But my daughter just sort of called me on it when she was about five that, you know, she didn't really feel God or identify with that. And I came to realize it was because God was a boy. So I said, you know, maybe you have the girl God in you. And then she just sort of lit up and she said, yeah, I do. And and so then we went from there. And then I um, I had recently met my husband and I told him, you know, I, I think I want to write a book about this. And he's like, yeah, you should. So um, I just pretty much wrote down the, the story and then kind of added to it. And, and then I knew exactly what kind of art I wanted. And then we have um, – friend here in Bergen, uh, who's also an artist, and she happened to post one of Elizabeth Sletness, uh work, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I envisioned, and so I reached out to Elizabeth and started talking with her, and she read the story, and um, so then I did my first three books with her. Um, after The Girl God, I did one called Mother Earth, and then I did one for my son called Tell Me Why. Yeah, well, and so I love what you're you're so you had never written a book before. You just were inspired by well, your daughter. Actually, I have. I did write a book. Um, <laughs> funny, I've never. Uh, it's still one of my probably my most personal books, and it's still been sitting. I do want to publish it someday, but it is about my first husband and uh, who's Lebanese and my time in, in Lebanon with him and our relationship and his childhood. And it's kind of an interesting book, but it's. I'm not ready to let go of it yet because it's just, uh, I still, every time I read it, I sob. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I'm not ready to like let it go. And he's, you know, from the beginning, he gave me permission, like, yeah, you know, you should do this. And, and he even, he took pictures of me when I was writing in Lebanon and, and, uh, he was, uh, 
he's he's one of my biggest fans and supporters. So he has a lot of my Girl God books in his house and he pulls them out and shows them to people. And Oh, he's proud. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I love also hearing just you know, relationships that have, you know, served their purpose and that you still have the ability to love one another. Yeah. Well, he's one of the most important people in my life and he's um, uncle to my children. I'm auntie to his children. They've kind of, we raised them kind of as cousins. They don't really have um, biological cousins that are the same age. So those are their cousins. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So, um, so it worked out uh, I mean, it just worked out how it was supposed to work out. So, so you'd had experience with writing and, but this whole idea of like publishing and putting this imagery, like when you created the girl God, were you, was there anything inside of you that was like, wow, this is, this is going to get some backlash? Um, not so much at that point. And I mean, I wasn't really thinking about it from that angle. I mean, I haven't actually, I mean, every now and then I get some backlash, but it hasn't been maybe as much as it could be. I mean, I think in the last, I would say, especially the last five years, the idea of the divine feminine is much less scary. And I think one of the reasons, like I get a lot of criticism from people who have been like in the goddess movement for a long time, like, oh, I, you know, why do you have to say girl God? Why can't you say goddess? And okay, I can understand that. And personally, I use goddess. But for so many people, Girl God is sort of a gateway. Like if you had told me when I was a you know, very religious Christian, if you brought up goddess, I would have like ran the other way and thought you were like, you know, filled with the devil. And, right. You know, I mean, so for me, my I feel like, OK, there are so many goddess pages in books and all these other things. I don't need to be that. I'm doing something different. And for me, what my mission has always been is to bridge that gap so that more women can get out of this hyper-masculine view of God, which I find very crippling for women. Well, I, I love what you're, I love what you're saying too about, because that was my experience, Trista, was it was clearly not goddess. You weren't saying goddess. And to me, it was like seeing the words, I had this immediate aha. It was like, oh, she's, you know, it was like, it it was implied, but the wording was so just like, almost like being able to, for a moment, see in a mirror, like, oh, yeah, it's like finding the divinity within yourself, which is really squelched within most uh, females from birth, basically. I mean, we aren't, you know, everything good is male. So we're not uh, anything goddess is like, you know, if you grow up in a sort of a fundamentalist family, that is really evil. And, you know, just even the nature of women, I think, in a lot of very fundamentalist uh, families is evil. And, you know, we're forever making up for it by being servants to men and being submissive and not really living to our full potential. So and Trista, what's your experience just in terms of um, that being something that most women are even aware of, that that's, you know, kind of this almost like, I I call it like a trance, like, uh, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's just, it's almost like pointing out to to a fish that they're in water. It's, Mm -hmm. it's this idea of like, um, and I know that, you know, a lot of, especially again, over the last few years, right, with the Me Too movement, there's been a lot of the patriarchy and the conversations around the patriarchy becoming much more normalized. And a lot more abuse in the church has come to light, too. Yes. Which, I mean, that 
to me that is completely related because if it weren't this dogmatic God is male and you shouldn't question, you know, male authority, we wouldn't have as much sexual abuse um, anywhere and including in the home, which, you know, I think is very common in uh, very religious families, unfortunately, because I mean, I think the women, females are devalued. So it's not, uh, we're not fully human. If I'm being completely honest, that's how I see very, very religious families. I mean, pretty much without, I would say, any any faith. It doesn't matter if it's Christian, Muslim, Jewish. It's, uh, we are not fully human. Right. Like that kind of second subordinate sex, like, mm-hmm. you know, back to the original story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And yet what was so great about kind of, again, digging so deeply, more deeply into this work and some of the suppressed texts and a lot of the different Mm -hmm. things, right? Like you've studied quite a bit about this. So tell me a bit about your kind of educational background again. Yeah. So I very religious growing up. I would spend hours reading the Bible every day. But I just read the Bible itself. I didn't know anything about like the cultural references or the language or the history or anything else. So I went um, to Florida to a Southern Baptist college with the hopes of becoming a minister. And well, first of all, I realized that basically I was there to become a a wife, not not a minister. And, you know, I wasn't really taken seriously as a theologian. I was just kind of like there so that the men could tell me kind of how things were going to be. And then secondly, of course, once I dug into the history of the Bible and how things came to be and which books were chosen, which were left out, and I basically became an atheist uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, it, which was hard. It was a process. Within, I would say, a year, I went through a severe questioning. And, you know, at first I was really struggling because I was really taught to believe like, oh, if I and don't believe in this anymore. I'll go to hell. Me, actually, I think this is bizarre, but for me converting, uh, when I converted Muslim, that was extremely freeing to me because I had been in such a fundamentalist type of Christianity and the Islam that I was introduced to was much more progressive. So I finally had this feeling of like, I'm not going to hell and I free had more freedom. I think it gave me more freedom to question things and to dig into other things. And also, I think uh, in a lot of ways, uh, the divine feminine is not so, um, I mean, definitely I would say goddess. People think of that like, like there's only one God. So if you have goddess, then that kind of is conflicting, obviously. But the idea of the divine feminine in Islam is very, very prevalent if you dig into it. And a lot of people just, yeah, it's it's different. It's um, it's a little bit more open there, I would say. Right. And so for you, that was actually kind of a transition into more freedom. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah which, which baffles a lot of people when I say that, um, because we have so many. And I, I mean, I didn't know much about um, Islam or the Middle East or Muslims before I met my first husband at all. Um, and the only reason that I started studying it and ended up converting is because so many people were so Islamophobic and so cruel, you know, about my relationship to him. And I mean, he's this beautiful man. And like, for instance, when we first got married, I was working at this company that had this very messed up uh, storage facility upstairs. And I like got smacked in in the head by like a two by four and got knocked out. And um, I had I had to go in and get stitches. I still have a scar in my um, eyebrow and I had a black eye. And like the first response every time was, oh, he must be beating you and can we help you? And, and, you know, and it was like so sickening to me because 
is just not that person. And I saw again and again him treated so unfairly. And also because I kind of have like this ambiguous look, people often assume that I was also Arab. So, I mean, I've been called like a sand fill in the blank and, um, mm-hmm. you know, told like I deserve to die and, you know, go back to your country and, you know, all these just horrible, horrible things. You know, I didn't grow up for. I uh, met him and it, it really opened my eyes to how I think it's better now. But, you know, 25 years ago, I think that well, maybe it's better. Maybe it's not. I, I know. know. I was but... just saying, God, it's so interesting, <laughs> um, right? Like there's it's hard to say, you know, because I. I was so immersed in that community. I think now maybe people know better than to say something in front of me. Um, right. So I, almost... I will not put up with that now. <laughs> yeah. As, it's fascinating, right? Like just so and and back to kind of because one of the things I want to kind of surface here is what we're pointing to is kind of this ignorance of not only how we tend to, I, you know, again, this is like a separate conversation, like a whole nother podcast, but how we tend to like categorize people in their spiritualities and segment and isolate and all of these, you know, just it's such a it stems from so much like ignorance and and a lack of curiosity really but kind of going coming back to like I want to I want to kind of talk to you about this time where you became what you call an atheist and and I want to kind of understand more like how you define that well I to me I grew up with a pamphlet that actually had like all the world religions and then I think it also had Catholics and Mormons on there and it was like <laughs> it, it, it was a fold-up pamphlet and it, like each one basically was like a list of why it was wrong. So I think when I left Christianity, I didn't feel like there was any other option. I just felt like, okay, that's it, you know, and I didn't know anything um, at that point about goddess or any sort of uh, other spirituality. I knew there were other religions, but I'd always been taught all my life they were wrong. So I mean, I just didn't, it never really occurred to me, like it was just kind of like all or nothing, I think. And I felt so, just so, so, so let down. Um, I just felt like I'd been lied to my entire life and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. So the only reason I actually started studying Islam is just so I would have a response when people said crappy things about Muslims. Fascinating. Yeah. um, And then I, you know, I felt, I mean, I love hearing the Quran. It's beautiful. I'm not, I don't practice anymore. I'm not, I still, it definitely informed who I am today, but I don't really you know, consider myself a Muslim anymore. It's not that anything bad happened or that I, it's just patriarchal religion is just not my thing anymore, you know, like, and, and also part of this thing with my daughter is I had taken her to a mosque uh, when they were doing the uprising in Egypt out of solid solidarity. And it was the first time we'd gone to like different events and stuff, but it was the first time I took her to like a real like service at the mosque. And I was thinking, cause she was like four and they didn't used to be, this particular mosque didn't used to be so um, conservative, but I think after 9-11, they got, became more conservative. So that there was actually this sign on the door that women actually had to cover their hair. And so I was like, oh, so I, I my daughter had a hoodie on. So I was like trying to put it up over her hair. And she's like, why do I have to wear this? If Joy doesn't have to wear it, I'm not wearing it either. And that's her brother. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy, there was a guy at the door who was actually policing people and, like to make sure all the women had the hijab on. And when she, he just looked at her and he's just like waved her in. Okay, whatever. But, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of a, a wake up call for me too, that, okay, you know, like it is different rules for, you know, men and women. And why is that? Like, you know, I, I have a little bit 
um, I go into that a little bit in The Girl God. And that was kind of from that experience with my daughter, because I hadn't really thought about it that much, to be honest, until then. I just always felt like, okay, well, I'm just respecting the culture. I never wore the hijab personally. A lot of Muslim women don't. I think that's also a misconception that like all women have to be covered in some countries, yes, but many, you know, in the West, generally, it's, you know, I don't know, I would say roughly 50-50 of who chooses to wear it, who doesn't, and, you know, if you go to the mosque, I would wear it just out of respect, but I never wore it in my in my daily life. I don't um, actually think that my understanding of the Quran is that it's really not necessary, but I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with that, and I know a lot of people that, that love to wear it, and that's, you know, I don't think that we should prevent women from wearing it if they want to, because that's also becoming a thing, you know, in France and elsewhere, where women who, who feel like it's part of them are being told that they have to read. Right, right. Well, so, so the couple things that I'm really hearing too, Trista, are my experience, right? Again, kind of coming back to your multiple experiences, and I grew up Catholic, but one of the things that you just said, I kind of had an aha, right? Because so much of this stuff is very covert, I think. It's like, it's like what you said about kind of starting to realize in these, in these situations or in, as you started to experience these, almost sometimes I, I think too, like our daughters, because that, mm-hmm. that seems to be- They a, wake us up. <laughs> they wake us up. They really do. Yeah, and because they call us on our crap. <laughs> And not only do they call us on our crap, I know for myself that it's almost like I experience sometimes like this holographic moment with my daughter. I've talked about it in a former podcast where at certain ages, you know, as she grew up, I just started to like think back to like what was happening in my life at that time and how differently I've raised her. It's kind of like some of these things, some of these like the ways that I had been shamed or disciplined for certain things about either how I was sitting, how I was behaving, whether it was unladylike, I just started to realize how much of that came from the kind of the church, if that kind of makes sense. And then the other aha I just had was that you were talking about fundamentalism, we're talking about Islam, we're talking about my upbringing in the Catholic Church, all of those are all religions that have been created out of interpretations from the Bible, the Quran, but in a man's quote-unquote world. And in all of those, across, you know, and again, like our listeners don't have to have been raised in any particular religion or denomination. In fact, one of the things that you're also pointing to that I really, I really get is this idea of spirituality as totally separate from religion and how you practice. Well, totally separate for many of us, right? Like it's not necessarily that it's, it's something that gets collapsed or at least it was for me. Did, did, was that your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, my spirituality is completely different now than it was before. I think before it was just completely driven by fear and and also just kind of like by this dogmatism where, like, I mean, I memorized the Bible relentlessly and I read it and I prayed and it was just like almost kind of 
brainwashed myself in a sense. Like, I mean, I can't blame it all on the church because I, I spent hours of my own free time just doing it to myself. But uh, yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, I, I think that I just, it was like I had this um, feeling of utter unworthiness that I had to somehow fix by being the best possible Christian that I could, which was, you know, basically killing my girl self, you know, like just... Um, well, and that was what I'm hearing originated, though, through the messages initially mm-hmm. in the church. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I think I would say in the church, but also from my own. I mean, I've, I've read the Bible. I, I mean, like most Christians go to church maybe an hour a week. I went to church and, and I was telling my friend this. We we're talking about having the long lunch. Um, we both actually grew up in Christian uh homes in Portland, I was telling her, like, I didn't just go to one church on Sunday. Sometimes I would go to three. Like, I was into it. I would go to, like, the early, early service. I would go to another church for another service, another, and then I would go Sunday night. Yeah, you were in it to win it. I'd go Wednesday night. Yeah, I was, like, (laughs) competitive with my, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, when I talk to people, like, in Portland that have gone to church, usually I've gone to most of them, or at least visited. Right? Because I, yeah, I mean, I just love uh, yeah, I was extremely excessive with my Christianity. Well, and I, but but I think that too, like I, I can recall a time too, where I was, I would literally play out like what I learned in church or, you know, with friends, like put a turtleneck over my head and pretend I had like a habit on like a nun. And there was a time right where as children, again, I think that we embody a lot, you know, through play. And there's so much that we pick up on. And I think that a lot of this kind of subtle kind of like, again, how you were saying, like, reading the Bible, right? I, I, I realized recently, you know, from my own just going back to uh, there was a time in my life where I was so just like, s- my skin would crawl, right? Like every reference about women as, you know, subordinate or, you know, not worthy or sinful or unclean, right? Like finding for myself, like over 200 instances in the Bible. And just, again, like how that permeates the psyche of of young girls and girls in general, and just attitudinal ways that we genderize the boys and the girls as we grow up, like there's a lot of different layers here. But for sure, I want to kind of circle back here and, and just kind of come back to our daughters, right? And like how our daughters really, in a lot of cases, become our, our awakening. Mm-hmm. When we really start to look at like, I don't know for you, but for me, like how so much like finding my way with my own spirituality and wanting her to be able to have the freedom to find her way with her own spirituality and allowing, Mm -hmm. right, that allowing, which I didn't have in my family, of everyone to kind of have their own. Because if my daughter decided, I remember at some point saying, you know, hey, there will come a time where you might want to visit some churches. Like you may decide that you want to practice within a faith. But I just, for whatever reason, I was I was so at that point, you know, again, like still deeply confused, but allowing myself that confusion. I knew that the Catholic Church was not for me, but I didn't necessarily want to keep my children from experiencing what they wanted to or what they were drawn toward. Right. Um, 
Well, and there's something to be said for community. And I think that is um, something that is really important for people who to leave the church, um, that you find other, and I, I think the perfect place for this is uh, women's circles and um, bread tents, um, because that you need that community time. And I think that is one thing that was the hardest part for me transitioning away from all this is I was so used to that sense of community. And that's wonderful, actually, to have if if you have a good community where people will bring you food if you're sick or, you know, if someone dies or, you know, um, yeah, that sense of belonging. I think in the modern world, we're really, we're really lacking that. And, um, and I see that a lot, too, especially now that I'm living in Norway, that it's not it's pretty secular here. Uh, you really kind of have to work at creating your own community because it's it's not uh, it's not here too much. Yeah. <laughs> well, and do you think that's just also a function of kind of the modern world, or is that just more of a cultural thing? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's definitely the Western world. I think uh, you see it. You know, I had I wrote about this a little bit in that How to Live Well Despite Cap- Capitalist Patriarchy book that I sent you. That uh, in Lebanon, like, for instance, my sister-in-laws, they have a wonderful life because they and, you know, Lebanon has been through, you know, hell and back and wars and all these things. And their family has been through a lot. They are the happiest, most loving, kind, giving people. And they all they help each other. And a lot of times they do meals together. They eat together. They take care of each other's kids. And, you know, they're not stressed out. Like, I think especially mothers are so isolated in the West. And they have like this feeling of like, oh, I have to be perfect. Whereas like if you're somewhere else, you know, back to Lebanon or could be another place too, but you can go to, go to auntie's house and you have a million aunties around or, you know, like someone else can step in. So it's not just all on that one mother. Um, I don't think anyone can fulfill that role well by themselves. You really need like a whole team and especially of other women, I think, um, it's just really important and we are really lacking it. Yeah. Well, and, and I also want to just kind of, I'd love for you to explain red tent just in case some of our listeners are not kind of familiar with that concept. Of course, I became familiar with it through the book. I think Anita, who was it that wrote? Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right. I think it's diamond. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll butcher it for sure. But, but yes, it's a one, that's a wonderful book. And, and I think it's really important, especially now. And as women are gaining their power back, I see this so much, especially in the last year or so coming together is as women regularly is so important because you can heal yourself and, you know, you could spend your whole life, but when you come into circle with other women, it's so powerful and you heal 10 times faster. It's just like, I don't know how to explain it if you haven't been there, but it's, it's just so powerful. And, you know, sometimes you get in a circle and women will just sit there and sob and not even talk. Mm-hmm. And it's like you all can feel it's like you're feeling this other woman's um, grief, but you're also healing with her. And yes. and this just this acknowledgement, like I was talking to a young mother the other day and I was, t- I was telling her, you've got to get into um, one of these groups because she's always like blaming herself and second guessing herself and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, but this there's nothing unusual about what you're feeling. If you, if you're in a community of women, you can see this and you can have support from other women and normalize your experience and not feel like everything that you do is wrong or, you know, second yeah. guess yourself so much because when women are to get isolated, they're 
yeah, I mean, you're starting from scratch. Whereas if you're in a group, you can, you can help each other out and like, you can run things by each other and say, Hey, has this ever happened to you? And, you know, I mean, I just, even like the first time I gave birth, I was thinking, why didn't anyone tell me half this stuff that right? happens? Oh my gosh. You? I know that most uh, of our listeners not, are agreeing. I, We're, mean, I think we've all been like, what the hell? Yeah. Completely insane. And it's, I yeah, it's it's so baffling. And I think I hope it's a little bit better now because I gave birth to my son about 17 years ago. But I just that was a really a wake up moment for me because I was just like and then when I said, oh, my gosh, I would tell other women, oh, you know, blah, 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 happened. Oh, yeah, that, that's normal. It's like, why didn't anyone I know. tell me I, before? I, the same, I, I can so relate. I had the same experience where I was almost pissed off at women. You know, I was like, why didn't you tell me, you know, that I would almost literally have to die, like, to, to give birth, right? And and just all of this stuff that comes after, you know, in those very kind yeah. of like, just, you know, initial learning how to be with all of the changes, all of the, you know, it's all everybody focuses on like, uh, all the beauty of it. Yeah. And even just a simple thing about your body. Like, I remember I brought some of my like heavier, I don't know, I have like different clothes, like for what time of the cycle I'm at, but I just like brought some of my like heavier clothes with me thinking I'll just wear those home. And it's like, your body doesn't change that much after you no. get rid of the baby. You still, and I remember going to the chiropractor a few days later and the receptionist was really young and she's like, when are you having your baby? And I'm like, I already, I think I'm I actually go have home a baby and, cry. With me. <laughs> and, and she's like, and the chiropractor's like, you don't just instantly lose your stomach. Oh, <laughs> it's so true. But yeah, I mean, I didn't know that really either. I just kind of thought like, well, you know, the baby comes out and then psh, and then you don't realize how big your butt got while your stomach was so big. Right. And then you're just like, what is this? Yeah. Yep. The whole oh, thing. Yeah. The whole thing. And yeah. again, like yeah. there's back to kind of like all of the ways as women that we it's like we're not taught how to have intimate, real, rigorous, like just, you know, deeper conversation in that way. And we're, we're so isolated from one another. So coming back to kind of like, I agree with you, like these circles where we can see ourselves in others, uh, other women and know that I'm not alone, know that like her shame or something that she's sharing while I may not be able to entirely relate to her exact experience, I can so easily look through her lens and see an aspect of my own life and know that like, wow, not only have compassion for her, but perhaps, and this is where I'd love to take this conversation, compassion for myself. So I wanted to ask you, how important, because there's a couple of things here that I want to check in with you about. As you work with women, and as you've kind of put these amazing books out, The Girl God, um, Original Resistance, um, what's the one of the toolbox? Oh, New Love. Yeah. New Love, oh my gosh, for undoing the knots, right? How important do you feel self-love for women is in terms of kind of the opening to all of this? Well, I think... For many women, it's a lifelong process and some women never get there, which is what is really sad. And that's why that's why we actually did the toolbox, because, yeah, I mean, it's you're <laughs> you're unwinding a lot of stuff. And um, 
you know, you women tend, I think, especially more than men, even to replay all these same negative voices that they heard maybe growing up or, you know, whatever messages that they got in their head. So it goes, even if you're not maybe, um, you know, like I was in an abusive uh, relationship previously with my um, children's father and um, who was very verbally abusive. So even after I was long out of that, I was still even, you know, as I was working through my own stuff and then later remarried my husband, who's amazing, I would still kind of replay all this really negative self-talk. And um, it took me a while to get out of that. And so I really had to be very careful about how I talked to myself. And when when I finally really it was it wasn't like it happened in (laughs) even a year. It was like years and years. But once I kind of really transitioned to only speaking to myself in a kind way, it really that was when kind of everything fell into place and changed for me. Yeah. And and that was a lot a lot of that kind of negative self-talk was was you were saying very unconscious for a long time until it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I really had to what I do now, I spend every morning meditating and I, I do that. But also I had a period where I would just wake up in the middle of the night and I would just have like this kind of intense self-hatred and Mm. I would just replay like all this like crap. And so I started just kind of changing the narrative and just if I felt something, I started just kind of like hugging myself like a like I would like little Trista and thinking about how would I talk to me if I were, you know, you know, I would never talk to my, my daughter the way that I talk to myself. Yeah. So kind of switching that into like, okay, what are the things that I needed to hear as a little girl that I didn't, that I can tell myself now? And it, it doesn't happen overnight, but if you keep working on it and, you know, I shifted those nighttime, it was almost every night I would wake up Da, 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 da. And now I, I very rarely even wake up, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a process. And it really depends too on how severe, um, you know, I haven't had like the happiest life at times. It just depends kind of where you're coming from too, because some people, maybe it's not as severe. Sometimes maybe it's worse. I don't know. But, but I do think for a lot of us, there's a lot of self-hatred and comparing And, you know, and I see women compare themselves to other women in a way that is so, yeah, like it it doesn't make sense. Like if you're the other person listening to them, you're like, have you seen yourself? You're gorgeous. And, you know, it seems like your life is perfect. But in their mind, they're not good enough. And, you know, they're working through all this stuff. So I think just the process of talking with other women is so affirming Um, and also just to hear other women, you know, especially in circle, I mean, it can be one-on-one too. I love just being with one or two other women, but in circle, I think it's really cool too, because you also have kind of a diversity there. You can't control who's there. (laughs) You kind of get there and it's the group that it is. And every group, every meeting is a little bit different because of the different flavors of the women that are there. So you never kind of know what exactly is going to happen. And and people share in really powerful ways. I mean, most people actually, I think, go pretty deep um, in these circles and maybe they don't even plan to, you know, some women say like they weren't planning to share anything and then they end up, you know, sobbing and 
going into stories that they hadn't ever told anyone before. And this is really when we're talking about women's circles again for our listeners, I just want to come back to this kind of red tent idea because the, and, mm-hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong, Trista, but like the red tent and it's been years since I, I read that book, but it's, it's really, it, it talks about how women used to kind of gather together in biblical times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because the red tent symbolized when they were menstruating. Is that right? Yeah. So it's kind of difficult to do what would have been, you know, like a red tent in, in those times because women were living more communally. So they would be, you know, menstruating probably at some similar times with each other. So they would all kind of be menstruating at the same time and could go in the tent together and, you know, but it's a sacred time. It's a really powerful time. And a lot of women power through it because, you know, in the modern world in the West, you know, we have to be just like men and succeed and right work and, and clean it up um, and you keep know, it going and, and be productive. Yeah, just, and, you know, whether, you know, if you have cramps, just take a bunch of ibuprofen and, <laughs> you know, just you know, power through it. And for me, I try to always at least take my first day of my cycle off and just do like self-care, nurturance. I notice sometimes I cheat and I try to like do something or do something social and, and I usually end up like a complete mess. <laughs> so now I realize, especially now that I've stopped doing, stopped pushing through so much, I just really have come to, to uh, realize that it's really not to my benefit to even try to do that because it doesn't work, you know, especially now that I'm more in tune with myself. I just need to be at home alone taking care of me. Yes, it's almost like that, like the the cycle in itself, right? And there's certainly way more women out there that are experts on this than I am. But in terms of, again, kind of coming back to this female body wisdom, right? And really understanding mm-hmm. this sacred kind of um, cycle that we that we have. And again, like well, you said, charting. Yeah. yeah. If you get like a, ch- a, a moon phases calendar, which I still am very close with my favorite writing and feminist uh, women's studies professor from college. And she for years sent me this moon cycle. And I mean, I I think it was like a decade where I didn't do much with it. I kind of was like, well, that's thoughtful of her. She always writes a little note on it and everything. But I didn't really understand how. No, I really didn't. I mean, I didn't. And now I have it up in my kitchen. And now, you know. You're like, I'm, I'm paying attention so to this. Like this see. is, this is a science well, yeah, for having yeah, sex. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm a little bit now I'm a little bit off cause I'm in perimenopause. So my cycles aren't quite as predictable as they used to be, but, but it's so fascinating to see kind of how you're aligning with the cycles of the moon. Yeah. And, um, and especially if you, now I've been really charting it carefully for, I don't know, at least five or six years. So I have them and I have all my charts with my circles and, you know, whatever else, maybe I have like what big circles around some, <laughs> but, but it's really fascinating. And I think we, it's one of the tools of patriarchy is to connect, disconnect women from our bodies. And the cycle is, you know, that is one of the major things that differentiates uh, yeah. men and women. Um, and it's, it's intensely powerful if you utilize it and you, take the time. And, you know, a lot of women do have to work, but if you can at least go home at night and have your partner make dinner and 
be nurtured, have a long bath and whatever you can do within your, your own personal situation to really nurture yourself and rest is so important. So important. Yeah. And, and, and it's true, right? Like I know that you and I, when we had kind of our preliminary talk about, you know, just learning a little bit more about each other, that one of the things that came up was kind of how so many women, right? Like in our just modern culture have a disconnect about how, how far we've come. And and I, I'm like having like air quotes, right? Like as if like anybody can really see uh-huh. me do that. But it's like, yes, and right? Like, like, we're yes, yeah. we're making progress. And one of the things that you shared with me, which was just really like, right, it's like, sometimes the things we can't see, it doesn't, Mm-hmm. there's this kind of like s- these covert or subtle or not so subtle undercurrents where every so often I find myself stumbling into kind of unawares, like a pocket of self-loathing or not self-loathing, sorry, like um, what am I, what am I going for here? Hatred against women. And you, you had talked about having a very kind of awakening experience through a project that you were working on, I think you said it was called Rape Book. And I wondered if you would talk to us about that. Yeah, you cut out there a little bit, but I think you're asking it about uh, Rape yes, Book. Yes, yeah. I was I was saying that, Okay. yeah, yeah I wanted you to share with, like, I, I sometimes stumble upon the hatred of women and, and it takes my breath away. Yeah, so this was, what was that, five years? No, now it's, been longer than that, six years or so. There was a big campaign on Facebook because there was a lot of very obvious misogyny and violence against women and girls everywhere. And um, we ended up starting a page called Rape Book. And yeah, it was intense because we would get, uh, it ended up that we got death and rape threats against ourselves and our own children. And the and whole idea was to kind of allow for a healing with rape victims. Is that correct? Well, um, actually, with that particular project, it was more to bring awareness that these images should not be on Facebook. And obviously, they're very triggering to women who have been, which statistically speaking, is pretty high, raped or sexually abused. And we were getting even like photographs of women and girls who were actually being raped. And yeah, I mean, it was just this outpouring of hatred for for us. And, and I would say for really all women. Yeah, it was it was eye opening for me because I hadn't seen it like that blatantly before the hatred of women. Okay, and now I'm seeing what you're saying. It was instead of Facebook, you started a page called Rape Book or or that uh, that those right. pe- the people yeah. that you were working with to kind of stop this misogynistic mm-hmm. behavior and and postings on Facebook and to bring mm-hmm. awareness to it. And what you got in return was like almost like the the vortex of hatred started coming at you in terms of Mm-hmm. this page and y- you were experiencing yeah. threats on that page and a lot of postings around the hatred of women. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, and they ended up, you know, they put my address and, uh, and, and told people they should come into the house and uh, hurt my children. And yeah, it was, it was very, very ugly. And 
So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, and this is before, like now, of course, we're all kind of aware of like trolls and hatred. And we saw so much of the vitriol come out mm-hmm. with the kind of like political stuff that, that came up right in the Trump election. Right. So, so mm-hmm. that, that I know that that's very familiar to a lot of people, but I think the thing that I was really kind of tapping into while you were talking about it the first time was just, yeah, like I, I think sometimes I live in this bubble where I don't kind of realize Uh how much there's so much of it still to really heal in our world. And which brings me to kind of this, Uh this other truth, which is that you also wrote a book called Mother Earth. And I'm really Uh wondering, like for you, you know, to create the Girl God book, and then to create the Mother Earth book, and then to create original resistance and talk actually about the story before the story of Eve about Lilith, right? Mm -hmm. And how would you say you would summarize or put or thread all of these books together? Like, of course, I'm over here just being like, God, this is so genius, right? It's like, you've literally put kind of the absence of the goddess and the girl God and given girls a way to see themselves in the divine, right? And also that the divine and how we even treat mother earth and what's happening Uh to our world environmentally is also a symptom of the patriarchy. Uh Yeah. So like I, I, the books connect for me because I, choose topic. I always have like 10 projects going at once. So, and I have a very high energy level and I, um, I am still a very hard worker. Maybe I would say a little bit of a workaholic, although I'm working on that, but working on it for me, the books are all things that I want to learn about myself because I feel like our histories are so suppressed or herstory as I like to call it. Um, so just bringing these things back into light and looking them at them in a different way than, you know, what I was raised to look at. And it's almost like a never ending <laughs> black hole because like once you find out about this, then there's that. And, you know, you just go deeper and deeper and deeper in. And I mean, it's the same way too. like going back to the hatred of women. You know, one of the books that we have not been able to finish yet is a follow up because I did one book called um, Single Mothers Speak on Patriarchy, which is an anthology with 45 um, single mothers from around the world. We found in that book that almost every woman had experienced financial abuse. So we started a book on financial abuse and it's same thing, black hole. It's I mean, I don't know if we'll ever be able to even finish this book because the, the more we get into it, the deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper it goes. And I almost feel like I can't do the subject justice because it would have to be like bigger than the Bible. Yes, yes. Uh, It's just this huge worldwide problem. I mean, it's and it's it's sickening. I mean, it's connected with all, you know, domestic violence, all the different ways that we suppress women. Um, I think religion is a huge tool, but money is also a very uh, huge way of keeping women down. So, yes. I mean, it's something that we really we've really noticed through our work as well is this idea of not only like that it's so it's so vast, right? A whole nother podcast on this, but about, you know, just women equating, you know, herself in worth, right? In terms of like how we... Mm -hmm 
how we divide, you know, our roles inside of households and like, who's the quote unquote breadwinner and how Mm -hmm. that, how women come to value themselves and like find themselves sometimes in abusive situations and they have no way out because they've figured out, right. Like they've been at home raising children and now they have no financial resources Mm -hmm. and just you're, I mean, it's just, it taps into, like you said, this unbelievable unintended consequences in terms of like when and and this is something that we're we're talking a lot about in terms of like bringing money and the conversations of wealth and commerce and mm-hmm. right how all of these um conversations are so important well and money is one of the hardest things i think for women to talk about um and i don't have it handy here i wish i would have pulled it up ahead of time but i have a quote that i actually included in new love um and it is about actually women's circles. And it's, it's, um, I'll kind of paraphrase it, but she said, you know, her, she had a woman's circle who, I think this is Sedona Cahill who wrote this, had a woman's circle who met for 15 years and they had all talked about, they knew all their sexual histories, everything, you know, they'd gone through every little thing. And then they finally decided to get to the root of their money problem because all of them had had money issues. And she said it was, I mean, life changing really because like, it's the one thing like it's more taboo than sex to talk about money, really. I mean, it's like women are not supposed to want money or have it or we have a lot of shame around money or, you know, thinking that we're bad with it. I mean, I would say the reality is, is that patriarchy makes sure that women don't get their fair share. And then coupled with the fact that we generally are not comfortable talking about money is just a recipe for disaster. Right. And is it um, so I'm on you're going to laugh at me. Well, maybe not, but I'm, I'm on, uh, let me see here. Day 26 money and abundance of, is that, is it yes. the yeah. uh-huh. Sedonia yeah. Cahill, uh, quote? Sedona. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's, yeah, that's it. do you want me to yeah. read it here? Yeah, read it. Yeah. Cause I, I, okay. I don't have it here. So, okay, good. so here we go. Uh, day 26, money, and this is out of the new love, a reprogramming to toolbox for undoing the knots, a girl God publication. So day 26, money, an abundance of. My women's lodge has been meeting for over 15 years, and we've talked about many topics, including aging and death. We spent several meetings telling our sexual history from beginning to end. With that topic, we were all able to laugh and cry together as we discovered that the telling of these stories wasn't hard to do. Then we decided to talk about money. In the first evening, it was amazing to find that this group of very competent women had so much shame and embarrassment talking about it. We had no difficulty in our meetings about sex or death, but money was hard to talk about. There were tears as we told stories, revealing how mystifying money was to each of us. Somehow, we hadn't been raised to understand it. We had mismanaged our own money, lost money, and almost never asked for the amount of money we deserve for our work. There was guilt about having money, guilt about not having money. For middle-class women of our generation, talking about money had been a family taboo. We stayed with this subject for several meetings because it was so potent, and each time I dreaded going to the circle, thinking, I really don't want to face this. After that, each woman in the group took various steps to get a handle on the issue. I know I did. Those circles changed our lives. 
by Sedona Cahill. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, um, we actually, I was talking to a friend here about doing a circle just around money, and I was hoping to do it at the beginning of the year, but time got away from me. But listening to that quote again, I think I really need to get my act together and do it because it's so important. And I mean, if you, if you have financial stress, it doesn't matter what else you have. Like you're always thinking about that stress and it's a horrible, I mean, it's a horrible way to live. I mean, I, I, I spent years as a single mom without child support. I was always broke. Uh, and that was always, you know, in the back of my head, always worried about, you know, how am I going to feed my kids? Am I going to be able to pay my rent? And, you know, you can't thrive in that sort of environment. It's impossible. It's impossible. And the other thing that I'm really finding is true for us in our work uh, is really kind of that liberating women, right? In terms of just surfacing some of these, you know, what I call like constructs inside of the inside of this trance of unworthiness, right? And it's like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. But the truth is like, for so many women healers and coaches who are doing this important work, there's also so much truth to the fact that if women aren't willing to invest in themselves or invest in us to help them to help them get where we want them where we all want to get, then it's, it becomes like unsustainable to do this work even. So it really becomes this vicious cycle where, um, again, I think it's so true, Trista, that, you know, having these conversations and continuing to really focus on them as almost like the linchpins to helping us kind of like, uh, uncollapse this, this system that continues to kind of keep us, yeah. trapped, entranced, right, is is all so, so important. So I want to say this, like this whole thing has just been like such an amazing conversation. I've, I know you and I have often said like we could talk forever, but I want to just <laughs> right? Like, and I'm so I'm so excited. I'm even more excited now for like the next podcast with you. But what I'd love. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for, for sure, sure, for sure. But what I'd love to do is just kind of like, just I'm wondering if there's like one thing that you that you want to leave our listeners with just as kind of an inquiry today. And and not to put you on the spot, but if something comes up, like just as, you know, because we, we love kind of this idea of like, just creating conversations that help women have these revelations, right for their own lives. And it, it is in some ways like a virtual circle, like I'm just imagining all of our listeners kind of circling today or whenever they're getting a chance to listen to this and maybe hearing some of their own lives in this, in what we've shared today. And I just wondered if there's a specific thing that you want to say to our audience today or have them think about. Yeah, I mean, I would I would ask women, and I think this is important for all of us, is how can you love yourself better? How can you be kinder to yourself? How can you invest in yourself, you know, to get the life that you want, whether it's, you know, maybe you don't have any extra money, but you could start making a list. Like I keep every year, I have a journal. I have, I am a total list maker. I write out, you know, what I want. Sometimes it seems totally crazy, but a lot of times I go back and look at these journals and I've accomplished most of the things. Or decided like, eh, that wasn't really for me. But at the time, it sounded fun. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I think you have to be very intentional. We have several friends right now. Um, I would get emotional, but. That's um, okay. 
that we're losing to cancer that are that are really dear to me. And um, it does really, really make you think like life is so short and it's so precious. And what do I really want? And like, am I focusing on things that really don't matter? Like, am I being petty or nitpicky on things that like in the scheme of things, who cares? Like focus big picture. And, you know, to me, the most important thing in life, and I tell my kids this all the time. I always ask them, are you happy? Because being happy is the most important thing. Like if you're happy, everyone else around you will be happy. If you're miserable, you're going to make everybody else miserable too. So I think a lot of people think self-care is selfish or, you know, like just this goal to be happy is silly. But to me, especially the older I get, I think that it's the most important thing because if you don't have happiness, you probably won't have health either. It affects everything. It's, you know, it. so yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's just moving closer to the life you want and what you thinking about what you need what does make you happy and whatever that is you can always do more of that or something close to it you know like I always think like people want to like change everything instantly it doesn't work that way yeah (laughs) but if you work incrementally little by little you'd be happier and happier and you know right what I'm hearing here is like it's it's like that first step is like daring to dream that you that you could actually like completely transform your life but like with the tiniest step and if that tiniest step is to just ask yourself today like am I truly happy and if the answer is no it's like it's okay right you don't have to do anything about it today just knowing that the answer is no today is enough for today right and then tomorrow right It becomes kind of this, now what about making a list about what would kind of bring more happiness to your life? Yeah, I totally, I, like, before I met my husband, because I I was married twice before I met him, um, my first husband is still a dear friend, my second husband was very abusive and has passed away, Um, so before I met my husband, I was kind of like, "Eh, I need to work on myself, and it's going to take a very special person for me to ever want to do this again. So I made a list and it ended up being 45 things that I required in a man before I would even bother. And I just put it away, worked on myself every once in a while, I would pull it out again, add to it or take away. And then out of nowhere from Norway pops up my husband (laughs) and he's everything on the list and more, you know, I think if I hadn't, I always tell women because I think women settle so much in relationships drives me crazy (laughs) but it's like if you're single and you don't just go for any guy think about what kind of a man or woman do I want and and go from there and and you know if you're really intentional first of all you just shut off a lot of people that are you know right off the bat okay that's not (laughs) not a good fit fit. yes I mean sometimes especially when you're younger it's like someone's very handsome or whatever you're you're things I mean my husband also is very handsome, but when I was younger, that was like maybe the first thing was like, oh, he's so handsome, you know, like, but then there's like 80 things that are really off. Right. Or a huge red flag. <laughs> so I think, yeah. And you're like, but I don't know. He's really yeah, good looking. So like, right. So it's, I think just being really intentional about what you, and I mean, same with everything like a job, you know, of course we, most of us have to work to, you know, live and but being, you, and being really selfish on that list, still, you know, yeah. Yeah, but really taking the time to write what it is that you want. And maybe you won't have it right away, but you can get there. You know, like you just have to be willing to 
work toward it. Right. You have to, I think what I'm hearing is you have to be willing to actually be with what is, which is if you're not happy, then it's about the willingness to kind of admit that. Like that's the first revelation, right? Is just kind of like, wow, you know, like it's true. I'm not that happy right now. And just going from there. Well, and sometimes too, it's about making compromises and realizing, you know, like for instance, I don't have a car. Part of that is because I don't think it's environmentally friendly, but in another way, it would be nice to have a car at times, but it's like a trade-off. Okay. Well, I would rather have more money to spend on these other things. So it's like figuring out what your particular values are, because I think a lot of us have this idea, like I want everything. And, you know, we've had this idea, like women can have it all, but that's actually not true. You actually have to choose what are the most important things and focus on those and be willing to let some other things that maybe aren't as important to you go. Yes. yes. Because if you try to have everything, you're going to kill yourself. (laughs) Like just, you know, yes. And it's just impossible. It's true. It's true. And it, it, it is, it's about getting really intentional about what you want. And like you said, you know, you can put that list away, but it's like somehow going through the exercise of having kind of just embodied it and thought about it somehow creates that whatever that that creation process that women are so brilliant at again another totally another podcast right that I'd love to dive in more with you on but the other thing I'm really hearing too is this that I want to bring to our listeners is is what I heard you say Trista is find a women's circle yes for sure that's the best thing that you could do for yourself if you just did one thing just find a women's circle and if you don't There's actually, uh, my friend Karen Lee Moon has an app even that's, um, I think it's Divine Feminine app, and you can find a woman's circle in your area. You just type in where you live. You could also just search on Facebook. That's what I did when I was, uh, before the app is, I think, just a year or so old, but um, that's how I found my circle here. I love it. So Divine Divine Woman's Circle is the name of the app? Um, it's, I think it's called divine feminine. Okay. Divine feminine. Um, and they have, there's also a Facebook group for that. And yeah, I mean just, and you know, if there's not one in your area, make one and it doesn't have to be super, uh, organized. Actually, if you want something easy, my friend, uh, Monette, um, who I think you're talking to, uh, who co, uh, edited the original resistance, um, uh, anthology with, uh, me and my mother created this amazing study guide and it's nine circles right there for you. You don't have to do anything. It's just questions and it's, it's all, you know, focused on Lilith, but I mean, it's an exceptional study guide. And so like, if you think like, Oh, I don't even know what to do. That's there. And right now it's free. Eventually we're going to turn it into a a workbook, but she has it all up on her uh, website, which is just uh, Manettechilson.com. Great. Well, you know what? I'll put this as well. So it's just for our listeners. If you want to go to uh, jointherevelation.com, uh, we'll have a, a search available and you can search on Trista's name. And what we'll do is have these resources actually in the blog post when we publish this episode. So you can c- find these oh, resources. Perfect, yeah. And Trista, I just want to just say thank you. Thanks so much for just, you know, being so willing. Oh, thank you, Monica. Yeah. And, and um, I can't wait for our next conversation. And um, yeah, more to be revealed. If you're someone who would value an opportunity to work with us in a deeper way, We'd love to offer you an introductory free month into our online monthly membership 
Remembering Sisterhood. Join us there for soul diving, live coaching, special guests, journal prompts, tips for living your most authentic life, and so much more. Simply go to our website, jointherevelation.com, and click on our membership link using the code podcast in the checkout. We can't wait to welcome you there. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.